podcast, Greater Than Yourself. All right, welcome to episode nine of a podcast greater than yourself. My name is John Barleycorn. And I am Fred. We are your hosts. This week, we sat down with our new friend, Hank, uh, with the topic of There is a Solution. Uh, yeah, so Hank is Hank is another person, yet another person we've met through in our ever-expanding world of AA through Zoom, and uh, and he is, uh, yeah, he's, he's super knowledgeable and uh, obviously has a really, really good understanding of, of the program and the book, and yep. clearly, li- again, just another person who's out there living it, which makes me really happy to know that there's people all over the place doing this thing. Absolutely. Very, very cool. And um, we would love to hear your thoughts on the episode or any of the episodes. Uh, Please take a second to scroll down in your podcast app and rate and review us. That helps a lot. Yeah. Drop us a line at podcastgreaterthanyourself at gmail.com or look us up on Instagram. It's a podcast greater than yourself. We've gotten some great feedback and some really cool people reaching out about some stuff. We actually talked about it a little bit in this episode. Um, But yeah, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you guys and and let us know what you think and how it's affecting you, good, bad, and different, whatever. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. All right. Well, enjoy the show. Later. Uh, The reading that I picked... Um, is from page 24. It's, it's, it's talked about often in in meetings. And I think it's a, a great part of the book. So before going into the section in italics, it says at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. Mm-hmm. So that that's the reading I chose. And <clears throat> a few years later, and in, in, to my sobriety, I had this memory of a time when I was um, about 13 years old and I was cooking some spaghetti. It was like the first thing I learned how to cook. So I had, uh, I was boiling the noodles, um, microwaved the sauce as you do. Um, and I was pouring the, the noodles or once the noodles were done, I was pouring them in the colander. And when I poured them into the colander, I, I poured it towards me and I got boiling water all over my stomach and I had this real nasty burn and I'm red faced, like, like we talked about earlier. And, and so like, it was a, it was a nasty burn. A lot of my friends, um, gave me some crap for it, but the burn was so bad. And the experience was so intense that to this day, I have never, um, poured boiling water towards me. Right. I always do it from the front or to the side. Right. I learned my lesson. I was burned badly enough to learn my lesson. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to, when I'm in the midst of my alcoholism, right. And, and I've crossed this certain point, you know, I'm, and I've passed into this state to where the most powerful desire to stop, um, doesn't work. Right. I'm beyond human aid and, and I needed to be locked up, um, or else I was going to die or go insane. As the, as the book says, I was around uh, 19 years old. I went out day drinking with some friends. Um, 
started with some vodka and you know around 2 p.m on a tuesday <laughs> as you do when you're an alcoholic <laughs> and and because of the the phenomenon of craving which i had already developed at this time um once i started i had a lot of trouble hitting my target or controlling the, the amount of drinks that i took so we drank all uh, a, a lot of the day and i went to this this house party later on in the night around 10 p.m i could barely stand and I, I'm, I'm drinking all the while, right? I can barely stand. I can barely talk to people, but I, I always had a drink in my hand. And I ended up falling asleep well before um, uh, the party I was at was done, right? Um, so there I am on the couch, and they've taken my keys. And I fell asleep on the couch for a little bit, but it was uncomfortable. So once they all went out on the balcony to smoke a cigarette, I stole my keys back and, and drove and I got within about five minutes of where I was living at the time in, in Texas. And I flipped my car directly in front of a fire station. Mm. Um, they literally just opened up the garage and walked out <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was assessed and I didn't have any scratches. Um, when you see a car flip in a movie, it's very dramatic. There's a lot of flips and then it ends up exploding uh, mine, I just kind of flipped it onto its side after hitting a um, telephone pole and someone that was behind me smashed in the windshield and pulled me out. And uh, as I said, I was, I was assessed and I was fine. I had a bruise in the seatbelt, got um, uh, tested for um, intoxication by, by the police officer. And, and I went to, to jail for a DWI because I failed pretty bad. And this is my fourth time to be arrested and I was 19 years old. So, you know, my life wasn't looking too good at this point. And I was in jail for two weeks and I thought that that burn of this DWI and flipping, you know, a, a car that my dad had had bought for me while I was still in high school. Um, you know, the, the, this, this horrible experience, this, this great burn. I thought that this was going to be enough for me to get my life on track. So every day that I was in jail for this two weeks, I prayed. I, um, I attended the in church, uh, meetings at, at the jail. you know, I, 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 my mom came to visit me and I promised my mom that when I got out there, I was going to go back to school and get my GED, you know, get, get my life back on track, uh, get a job. I had this great plan and, and two weeks go by and, and I walked from that jail and my dad picked me up because flipped my car, uh, ate some food. And then I'm, I'm sitting at, at my, my dad's house and uh, I've just got this discontent feeling. I've got this restlessness and, and I, I never knew what to do with that. And within five hours, I was at the same apartment with the same people and there's a Budweiser can in my hands. Hmm. And, and there was no thought to deter me from, from doing that right? There was, there was, there wasn't even a thought like it goes on to say. And so I immediately just put my hand back on this hot stove and I, I ended up getting arrested later uh, that the next year. But you know, th this dangerous, this very, very dangerous, um, aspect of alcoholism, right. It, which I personally think, you know, the, the insanity that precedes the first drink, that that's what really is the crux of the problem, as it tells us on, on page 23. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, and, and that was my kind of like my war story, if you will, and an experience with that. But be, that 
for me I, as an alcoholic beyond human aid, I had to be locked up. Right. And, and eventually I was court ordered to Alcoholics Anonymous. And eventually someone told me the truth of, of what was really going on. And I, I, I'm so thankful for that, you know, to, to learn that I needed a power much greater than, than myself or my own knowledge to, to restore me to sanity, mm -hmm. especially around, you know, the first drink. Yeah. My, my initial thing when you were talking at first was, um, I was, I, I just instantly imagined Gordon Ramsay, like screaming at you for microwaving <laughs> pasta sauce. <laughs> I used to just that's pour how, it over the, it, right? I used yeah. to just pour it over the hot spaghetti and let the spaghetti mm. warm it up. <laughs> yeah. I'll do that too. Sometime. Just straight out of the jar. We need to do a special episode of just like sad alcoholic recipes. <laughs> That's a great idea. The different, it's like a whole sub segment of just like the different things I added to ramen. Yeah. Chopped up hot dogs, uh, hot pockets, Ooh. microwave mozzarella sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's so weird that like, um, I don't know. We talk about it a lot, but it's so weird to me that like, yeah, I could, um, when I came to AA when I was 19 and, um, a bunch of like super well-meaning people led me to believe that like the problem was alcohol. And now that alcohol was out of the picture, I could put this desire chip in my pocket and go to a shitload of meetings and like, Hey, maybe, maybe subscribe to the grapevine. I don't know. And, um, and like, you know, fucking pal around and go hang out at Denny's and smoke cigarettes and shit and just fucking like be content. And that would be my life. And, um, really, really quickly, I had this experience where, um, it was very similar to that, where I was like, you know, I, I, at a very early age, I feel just reached a point where I was like, I have burned my life to the ground. I'm a teenager and I'm like, fucked. I have alienated everyone. I've lost a bunch of stuff. I am like bordering on psychosis. I am like almost a paranoid schizophrenic. Like my life is fucked up and went to treatment and then got sent to AA and experienced this thing that I had never experienced before and that nobody told me about in AA or treatment, which was making a, making a, an absolute decision where I like, you know, went and did AA did treatment, you know, in my mind I did AA. Um, and I had that desire chip and I like was drunk again. Like you said, you just found yourself with the Budweiser, like, and Budweiser also struck a chord for me because it's like, e even when I was 19, I was a beer snob. I'm like, let's at least have a Newcastle or something. Um, but, and I don't know what I started drinking that night, but I know that it wasn't, I know that I didn't start with the like rot gut, half empty bottle of red wine that we dug out of the back of the cupboard that was all dusty, tasted like vinegar. I know we didn't start there. So instantly that night, it showed me two things. It showed me that like I couldn't make a decision to not drink and live up to that decision. 
I was not able to do it because I had genuinely wanted to do it. And I had thought that all the well-meaning people were right and that they were just going to support me and love me into living differently. And I also learned that once I start drinking, I can't tell you where that's going to go. And so it was those two things coalescing in that one night for me at 19 that made me realize like these other dudes in the AA meetings who like the majority of people just seem to not like and talk shit about and like kind of warn you away from. And, um, and honestly at that point at that age and that level of inexperience, were kind of creepy to me, you know, mm -hmm. they were kind of like culty and creepy and, you know, they're always carrying a book and the book has like duct tape on it and marker and shit. And it's like fucking <laughs> stuff sticking out of it. I'm like, who are these fucking like garage sale <laughs> theologian looking fucks, mm -hmm. you know, like what is going on here? Um, maybe I'm going to talk to those guys, you know? And I did. And I was immediately, put into action, you know, um, and, and people were talking to me in a different language that was equally supportive and encouraging, but it was a completely different language. It was what you're talking about there where it was like, so let's, okay. If we're going to talk about like page 17, you know, how the chapter opens common problem, right? What's my, what's our common problem. It's not that like we get DUIs, it's that we have an abnormal reaction to alcohol and that we, the, the insanity that precedes the first drink. Right. So my focus was shifted by these people who actually had the solution. Right. <laughs> they had the part two, you know, cause the common problem didn't keep me from drinking with a desire chip in my pocket and setting off the physical craving, you know? The common solution was the only way that I've ever been relieved of that insanity, you know? I think my favorite, the two things I really loved about your story was I kept waiting for you to talk about the part when you had to start avoiding Olive Garden, you know? <laughs> um, you know, like, uh, or talk about the part when you just like never ate spaghetti again. Like, um, and also, I was like, hoping uh, it would never turn into alcoholism. It would just be a story. It would just about. be a story about spaghetti. <laughs> just right. pasta. And from that day Raw on, I yeah. never ate spaghetti again. And I would, I would honestly, I would feel bad for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. What about linguine? Yeah. How do you feel about ziti, though? <laughs> what if you tried a white sauce? Um, right. So, but the other yeah, thing I a, love wait, is wait, like. It's a. It's a... <laughs> Like, <laughs> turn this into a cooking podcast taking a breadstick yeah. not taking a breadstick <laughs> yeah well you definitely can't go to olive garden with the unlimited soup salad and breadsticks that is i mean to right. a pasta addict that is just that's too far um i think you know like a great barometer of uh of a recovered person's um story of their you know something that happened to them while they were drinking is like how little drama there is in it because you know, it's like your story is boring in reality, but it would have been so easy to really hype that thing up, you know? And then I left the party and I was in this fiery wreck. And, you know, like how many times have we heard that 
story, it makes me think of being in treatment early on and like, yeah. you know, everybody is Pablo Escobar and, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, like dude, you're 15. It's like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. And so I, you know, I love that like your, your story was actually fairly banal. It's and like that you pointed it out, you know, it's just like, yeah. And like my car didn't roll like in a <laughs> Nicholas Cage movie. Like it literally just went, like like i'm just like the firemen were probably like laughing once they figured out you're okay like look at this fucking asshole out here like what an idiot you know like they weren't like whoa that was incredible you know like they definitely didn't remember you um except for maybe your stupidity hey welcome to the podcast hank and just completely destroy you here as i talk about stupid stories roast Um, you for 10 minutes apparently (laughs) um but yeah it's like um I, I also love that, you know, cause I, I don't, you didn't say this, but I can imagine it from my own experience that like when you were sitting there about to crack that Budweiser, the thought is not in my experience of a very similar situation. The thought is not like, um, Oh, this Budweiser is the problem, right? The thought is, is my problem was I grabbed those keys and the, and the fact that like, I just should have made it that five more minutes to the house. And, you know, so the problem is not alcohol, you know, but yeah. you said something really cool when you were talking about the spaghetti you said okay i poured it this way so next time i did it i poured it this other way right it's like Mm -hmm. um and this is something that i think this chapter gets to which is that uh there's nothing wrong with catching a dui and and then being like trying it a different way maybe maybe dark liquors are not your thing (laughs) right and if you just avoid those, I have friends who, when they drink dark liquors, they become different human beings, you know? Yeah, but yeah, when yeah. you keep them on the vodka tonics, they seem perfectly fine, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and those people do not need to be in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? For sure. It sounds like you had not yet come to believe that your life was hopeless, you know? Uh, you still thought you could manage it. You know, if, if you just put a few pieces into place, you know, and and right. so, you know, uh, I, I think it's just so uh, perfectly illustrated between those two things, you know, because you said, uh, yeah, I just never poured the spaghetti that way again. And look at me now. So if you had been able to make that one change, you know, and then immediately not do that same problem again, but you didn't, you kept, it sounds like you had maybe five DUIs or DWIs or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, now it's something, you know, we might want to look at, you know, and, and we right. might want to investigate into. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds like John has a, a, a pretty good reading. So I'll just jump into to mine, which is just the title of the chapter. Oh, because five uh page 17 oh just literally the cha- oh I literally the, the title the paragraph where the title is no the just the title of the chapter i mean i'm gonna jump around a little bit i want to talk about like maybe a couple other spots but i want to start with there is a solution and i think the key word if we were going to do our little lightning round here and say what is the most important word i, I actually think it's a is is <laughs> there's only four options you got a one in 25 you got one in four chance of being right here so i mean we could argue but we should post this on a facebook uh, uh a facebook Multiple page choice poll see how quick that would be fun actually we should do like we should post like three different questions on those ridiculous facebook groups in aa and then see which one gets the most comments and which one gets the most comments the fastest i think it would be two or three um you know, uh, two part or three part disease. I think that one, oh. whew, those numbers will 
Skyrim. But yes, uh, I think the, the there is a solution, one solution. Now, here's the thing. There's probably an infinite number of solutions mm-hmm. to getting sober. Um, there is only one solution that Alcoholics Anonymous presents to becoming recovered through the process Alcoholics Anonymous. Yep. And I think this is the frustration that I find is that, um, you know, we're taking what is a solution and we're just pulling out the parts that we like and we're like, okay, because exactly what John was just talking about. When I walked into my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and there were a bunch of dudes making weird jokes, quoting the book and like laughing about it and I had no idea and they, yeah, they seemed happy and joyous and free or whatever. But when they presented to me what they were doing, when they presented their solution and then I met these other people and they were like, yeah, we're going to go get milkshakes after the meeting. And like, we got cute chicks and, uh, you know, like, um, we're going to go to the park yeah. tomorrow and have a, a sober barbecue. Like that seemed more attractive, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I didn't know that a lot of those people were, were doing both. They were doing the fellowship and the work. Yeah, I just yeah, yeah. was like, I'll just try the fellowship thing. Um, but you know, on the next page, it talks about, where we need to make these demonstrations of our principles, right? And then a line that I actually think is something that I can't even live up to today, but it's something I think about a lot, which is at the bottom of 19. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions are attitudes which make us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. Now, right there, that pretty much dismantles 90% of the kind of, you know, not AA stuff you hear in AA. This is a selfish program. Right. No, my life, my life, my very life as an ex-problem drinker depends on me thinking about other people, but not just thinking about them, but thinking about how I can help them get what they need. Yeah. Right. And then I just like to run my life, uh, I'll just, I won't even use my whole life. I'll just take the part of my life. Like I'll just take the bucket social media. I like to run my social media life through this little sentence here, (laughs) a real tolerance of other people's shortcomings. I don't have a tolerance of my sister's shortcomings. (laughs) You know, I'm supposed to have a tolerance of people's shortcomings and opinions. I don't even know. Right. Um, but that is my job, right? It's, it's my job to, um, to let God sort out, people's shortcomings and opinions. And it's my job to think about how I can help meet their needs, you know, but when presented with that solution as compared to, Hey, we need a shortstop for the sober softball team. I get why people go the other way, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that gets into the whole, like growing and understanding and effectiveness thing. It's like once I'm tapped into that solution, then like, uh, am I staying on that track? You know, am I helping other people find that solution? You know, or am I, uh, cause that's, that's to me, it's like, uh, I think we talked about it in the last, last time we interviewed someone who was a beast mode sponsorship guy, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like you, you whip through the steps, you have this powerful experience and then you're just like living in step 12 in quotes. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. doing like nothing else. You're just right. doing 12. And it's like, I don't know that you're growing in understanding and effectiveness. You know? Exactly. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's a, back to the point or the 
comment that was made on, uh, you know, some of us come into meetings and there are these, it seems to be two factions. So I was really blessed with the, the home group that I went to initially w- was pretty solution oriented. And, and, uh, um, we mentioned the guys with the duct tape on their books and whatnot. And the first guy that came up to me, he was like, I, I came in looking pretty rough. I was pretty overweight. I still, you know, I, I have red hair. So I was like even more red than I am now. <clears throat> and, um, not very confident, right. A lot of anxiety and this fresh skinned and glowing younger guy came up to me and, and <laughs> started asking me questions. And I, I hated it, but you know, because I'm, uh, self-conscious and, and, you know, trying to arrange the show or, or project a persona that I want others to see, I, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of nodded my head and was, was polite with him, convivial with him. He, he ended up giving me a book, right? He bought me a book and he got my number and I went home and, you know, I, I read page really this, this chapter and especially page 21, when it talks about the real alcoholic and mm-hmm. that, that was the, the beginning of, um, my delusion being smashed. Right. Cause I'm starting, I'm starting to gain insight. And of, of course I had to get a sponsor and really understand this work with, with the sponsor eventually. But that was the, the beginning of my delusion being chipped away at. And I was like, well, you know, I started to gain, gain a fondness for AA and I started to go into other groups and then I would go to another group and I would hear people say halt, you know, hungry, <laughs> and tired one, one day at a time, uh, stay on the beam, which the beam <laughs> that's, you know, I don't get the beam competition for another day. <laughs> yeah. Put, you know, put the plug in the jug. I hear these well-intentioned, of course, well-intentioned phrases. And, and I, I hear that <clears throat> as a real alcoholic and I'm like, well, that, you know, that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm going to start saying these, these catchphrases. Mm-hmm, I'm going to start right. living up to, you know, I'm going to start staying on this beam, right? Because <laughs> God forbid I do anything imperfect, right? I have to do this perfectly. And I, you know, I got to stay loving and, and tolerant. And, and I, I tried to, to live up to this ideal that I just wasn't ready to live up to, right? I didn't have God's help yet. So I kind of, I think everyone goes through the, the process early on in AA where you, you, you do hear, two different schools of thought. And, and personally, I think that, you know, that that's going to be dangerous to our longevity, you know? And, and I think we, we just have to come back to telling people the truth. And, and I like, um, let's see, uh, Fred said, um, being tolerant, right. And, and open-minded to take someone along this process and, and the way that they need it. Um, which is, which is what that first gentleman did with me. Right. He just gently pushed the program towards me and didn't tell me to do anything else. Right. And, and God did a lot of the rest of that. Yeah. Um, I feel like the, um, the slogan crowd (laughs) bastardizes the love and tolerance thing to a Mm. point of, uh, tragic comedy. Um, the, the act of denying someone actual help, i.e. the solution AA offers, because we got one fucking thing we're selling. It's a connection to God, whatever you consider God. It's a connection to that. How you could read this book and think that we got any other thing to offer you, I'm, I'm, I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. I'm confused. Um, so it's not really even the 12 steps, you know? That's why it says we have no monopoly on God. It doesn't say we have no monopoly on a recovery process or, you know, is God is the point here. We're getting you connected to God. We're not worshiping the steps. We're worshiping a power. The steps enable us to get connected to that is the solution. So like this love and tolerance thing is so almost always when it's brought up is almost like, if not a reaction to someone trying to offer a solution in a way that makes someone who doesn't have that solution feel uncomfortable. Um, then it's, it's at least bastardized in the sense of like, all ideas are welcome here. All mm-hmm. ideas are equally valid. Everything is AA because it's being said in an AA meeting. And that's just not true. You know, like I'm, I, I don't get to go to, the Mormon church down the street from my house and try to become a deacon there and be like, cool. Uh, so here's what Mormonism is. Every third Sunday we get naked. We go downtown to the park and we smoke crack. And that is Mormonism. Mm. That's part of Mormonism. Sign me up. (laughs) And like, uh, and then get totally enraged that some bigot wants to tell me that that's not Mormonism, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, Those old like, timers, yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I have no business and no right and no basis in anything other than my own ego, thinking that my life experience should speak for whatever I decide it does. Uh, telling Mormons what Mormonism is about. Like I, cause I don't know. I have no experience with it and I just don't know it. And it's the same thing when someone wants to bastardize that love and tolerance thing into being like, well, let people say whatever they want at meetings. Um, you know, just don't bother the new people about God. Don't push God. Don't push the program. Don't talk steps, this and that. It's like, to me, that's the opposite of love and tolerance. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not loving a new person by humoring their ego and you're not being tolerant by allowing fucking murderers who might not be alcoholic in the first place and certainly don't know what the solution is to just tell these new people whatever the hell they want, you know? Right. It's not loving and tolerant. Now that doesn't mean I'm like motherfucking people or like tell them to shut the fuck up in a meeting or something. But, and we talk about this probably every episode, every time that I'm at a meeting and the solution is not being shared, I'm going to fucking make sure that it's heard, you know? Right. And that is me being loving and tolerant. And even me just being at a meeting that is full of the halters and the odatters and all, you know, all that shit, even me just saying, Hey, I, I obsessed over alcohol every day of my life for, you know, two decades. And now I spend not a single moment of my day trying not to drink or not to think about drinking. And that's just because I took the 12 steps and that's it. Even just saying that is Mm -hmm. so controversial and confrontational Mm -hmm. Um, in the eyes of these people who will then turn around and tell me to be loving and tolerant. (laughs) Right. Or they'll tell you exactly how to live your life 
yeah. like with very specific direction. Exactly. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, you know, even if all you do is just mention the fact that there is a book, cause you said something at the very beginning, you said, how could you read this book and not pick up the fact that mm -hmm. all we're offering, but I stand by my theory, which is that at least 50 percent if not more haven't they haven't read the book yeah you know mm. um you know they've heard this i mean i don't know how many scientologists read dianetics you know what i mean it's like uh <laughs> it, you know like because by the like at the very beginning they probably all did because they yeah. were all super close to what's his name you know it's like back in the day it's like you were getting this shit directly from bill or somebody or or dr bob or somebody like in that very close circle you know once it gets out of that like you know it's a game of telephone at this point right i mean it's mm, just yeah. this shit just keeps getting more fucked up um and uh and you know so i think even just mentioning the fact that there is a book that it is that's the program that's where the name comes from i mean we've heard it just in the last two weeks um we've gotten messages on our uh, on our email and on our yeah. social media people saying like i've been doing this Somebody turned me on to your podcast. I'm seven months sober. I can't figure... I'm literally relapsing every six months. I can't figure it out. Somebody turned me on to your podcast two weeks in now, and I'm on my ninth step, and things are starting to click into place. And I just... I'll, and they, somebody literally said, I just never knew that I was supposed to look in the book. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because if you go to a meeting and somebody It gives somebody me goosebumps, says, dude. Yeah. No, it's That's incredible. So cool. I love it. I mean, it's the whole <clears throat> point of this thing, you know, is like, it's not so we can listen to ourselves talk although that's set point number two but um the the first point though is to hopefully get this out to other people but you know if you go to a meeting i don't how can you blame somebody if you show up at i don't know 11 30 on the east coast in somewhere in new york and and you sit through an hour um, <laughs> you can probably i don't know maybe the the uh meeting is named after ingredients for a condiment or something i don't know um <laughs> So if you sat through an hour of people saying like halt and then giving like a five minute dissertation on what halt is and people talking about one day at a time and really celebrating this idea that like if you have 30 days sober and last time you only had 15, you are doing it. Like that's the deal. You got more mm -hmm. time. Um, and that's what you, all you heard every day. You just went to that one meeting. All you heard every day. Why would you think there was anything other than that? You know? Yeah earlier you said something hank that was really um on point which is that you know the people that are saying this stuff are well-meaning like yeah. i'm not taking away anything like i don't think these people are like going back into a little group a smaller group and being like ah we're really fucking with these alcoholics like <laughs> ah, watch them die these idiots listening to us like i think they found something that worked for them and they present mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. my problem comes in is that they present it in alcoholics anonymous yeah. and they're not doing alcoholics anonymous it's the idea that the doctor said okay you have whatever the symptoms are of something that will be cured by benadryl so what i need you to do is i need you to go down to the pharmacy i need you to pick up the benadryl and then i need you to read the directions on the back of the box and do what it says and so then a week later, you go back to the doctor and you're like, mm, I still have all the same symptoms. And the doctor's like, well, did you do what I said? And you're like, well, I went to the pharmacy every day. <laughs> I, and, I kept, and I just kept going to the pharmacy. Yeah, but did you buy the Benadryl and follow the directions, do what it says? Well, no, because when I got to the pharmacy, there was these really nice people there. And they just kind of said, just keep coming back to the pharmacy. Right. And they're all doing great. So I just kept going yeah. back. I mean, that's literally what is happening, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. and then 
after a while, it's like we're not even selling Benadryl at the fucking pharmacy anymore. Like we're we're selling now. We're just handing out coffee and just hanging out. Do you ever hear so, those right. old Cheech and Chong records from the seventies? Like the comedy records they made. No, no. There was this. <clears throat> there was this one bit on one of those called Sister Mary Elephant, where it was like a like a nun at a Catholic school or something, or I don't remember exactly what it was. I think she was like a substitute teacher, but she has this kid get up and read like his, what I did on my summer break thing. And he's just like this stoner kid. And he's like, he's like Thursday I got up and I went and I hung out at the drugstore. <laughs> and it's like every day he's like hanging out at the drugstore. <laughs> so he just reminded me of, it's so fun. I just remember like my fifth grade teacher playing that for us. And like, I'm like, why were we listening to that? <laughs> like, what kind of school were you going to? like, he's silly. Was that horticultural school you were at? It was a weird progressive school in Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah you were in some kind of fucking hippie commune. It was pretty weird. There was like a farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was a special room the outsiders weren't allowed in. Yeah. You were in a cult, dude. Exactly. You were in a cult. Well, yeah, it sounds I like think this cult. is where my, my views of Mormonism <laughs> stem from. Yeah. What if you had this moment right now where you were just like, oh, fuck, I'm a Mormon. <laughs> fuck, I do get naked and smoke crack. <laughs> I must be a Mormon. Yeah. This is Sober Tech News. This week in Sober Tech News, segment producer Cheryl Chen Farnsworth sits down with tech CEO Matthew Feinberg to discuss the new cutting-edge technologies his multi-billion dollar year company, AppSpace, is catering toward the recovery community at large. Cheryl? Thank you, Corbin. I take you now to the sprawling Palo Alto estate of tech CEO, Silicon Valley wunderkind, and app space impresario, Matthew Feinberg. We sat down to discuss his foray into the recently exploding sober technology industry. Matthew, welcome to Sober Tech News. Tell us what's new with app space. Well, Cheryl, AppSpace has always been about connecting people with people. Out of all the exciting developments AppSpace is currently making in the realm of social communications, I'm personally most excited to tell you about our new real-time recovery community translation app. That is exciting. It sounds like a total game changer for the recovery community. I know, but it gets even cooler because this app is available for use at both online and in-person recovery meetings. The proprietary translation technology used in Slogan... Uh, So the app is called Slogan, then? Yes, it's S-L-O-G-N, Slogan. The technology used in Slogan is one of a kind and allows us to transcend the barriers between the pathetic ball-and-chain meeting-maker lifers and your average newcomer walking in off the street. Okay, so how does it work then? So you see the newcomer will arrive at a meeting and approach someone eventually who's a more seasoned member of the 12-step program, colloquially known 
as an old-timer. Okay. Historically, these encounters have been bogged down in confusing jargon and rhetoric, but not any longer, thanks to Slogan. All our new person has to do is fire up the Slogan app or turn on the Slogan web browser extension before they attend a Zoom meeting. That's enough of me. Check out this demonstration. From what I've seen, the recipe for success is 90 meetings in 90 days. I do not know how to help you. Wow, that is remarkable. It's so accurate. Uh Uh-huh, yes. But just wait. It gets better. I just got to get up every morning and ask God to keep me sober. I have a terrible sponsor. You know what the old-timers told me when I first got here? You got to let go, let God. Surrender to win. I am an ineffectual simpleton. You know, the one thing I got to remind myself is I got to be practicing an attitude of gratitude. The only part of the big book I have read is page 417. One day at a time. One day at a time. Just don't drink today. You can drink tomorrow, but when tomorrow comes, don't drink today. I am not an alcoholic. Wow, Matthew, this has been a stellar demonstration. But let me ask the question that's on everyone's mind. When can we get our hands on Slogan? Slogan is currently in beta testing with certain select Narcotics Anonymous groups, but should be going live just in time for the notorious gratitude meeting season of November and December. Well, that is incredible news for the recovery community and super exciting for AppSpace. Yes. Yes, it's very exciting. As you can tell, I'm starting to get a little worked up just talking about it with you. Uh, How about before we go, let's have another demonstration. Well, sure, yeah. My disease is out in the parking lot right now doing push-ups. It's waiting on me. I heard a guy with a handlebar mustache say this at a men's meeting in San Diego one time in 1989. I'm not entirely sure what it means, but I haven't stopped saying it since. You know, I've been coming around for a few 24 hours now. I have the vague sense that the young women in this meeting will think I'm a gross old dude if I tell you how long I've been sober. But I still want to passive-aggressively time-bully you in my share. Meeting makers make it. I purchased a big book in 1997, but haven't seen it in 14 years. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it, because you're worth it. I am unwilling to help you recover. 
Oh, shoot, look at that, 10 minutes over. Sorry about that, everyone. Looks like time got away from me. Anyway, Marty M. Recovering Dipsomaniac, could you go ahead and give yourself and your higher power a round of applause if you haven't had a drink today? I am an extreme example of self-will run riot. Go to a meeting tomorrow, and then go to a meeting the next day. And then don't drink in between those two meetings. And then go to a meeting the day following that. And then don't drink between tomorrow's meeting and then the following meeting after that as well. And then just do that the rest of your fucking life. But one day at a time. Oh, that doesn't sound very good. Yes, well, of course, we are still in beta. Right. And some functional corrections will still be needed in the UI. Again, thank you for having me on your show. Yes, thank you, Matt. Or should I say, thanks for letting me share. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> great. This is Sober Tech News. All right. Okay. So like I said, I went a little freestyle. I figured, okay, the topic is there is a solution. So let's talk about what the solution is. Well, did you go to a different chapter? Let's talk about what the solution is. Yeah. I knew it. He's reading from the 12 and 12. Yeah. This is is from from, uh, our bodies, ourselves. (laughs) Uh, No, uh, I figured I'd just read uh, on page 164. Mm. Um, bottom of the page abandon yourself to God as you understand God admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past give freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny may God bless you and keep you until then Um, and so in a few of the meetings that we do we close with the last three paragraphs of that and because I've had the the life experience I've had, there's a lot of the writing in the big book that's like so deeply impactful and I identify with so like on such a cellular level that I just never get tired of hearing it. Um, but that I like, I, I, um, it makes my skin tingle when I hear it often. Like when I hear someone new, read it, it's like the spiritual appendix is the same thing. Yeah. When, mm-hmm. I, like when I hear someone read that, um, it's just, it's new every time. And it's mm-hmm. um, page 164 is so, uh, it's so, it's it's the juice, man. It's It's one of those places in the book where in a paragraph, it just tells you everything that you need to do, you know? And the fact that like this crazy bipolar, weird, uh, chapter ends the book. You know, it starts with page 151 where it's like the most depressing, mm-hmm. scary portrait of alcoholic loneliness imaginable. And it ends with like one of the most joyous, like just expressions of hope you could imagine. And in between, it's this whole like, here is exactly what you can do to build this fellowship that page 18 and 17 and 18 introduced to us in there's a solution. 
this concept of being saved from shipwreck binding us, you know? And so what do we do when we not only have shipwreck in our lives, but we also get salvaged from that? You know, what do we do? We watch a fellowship build up and we watch that happen by going and, and helping more people get saved from shipwreck. And that is the fellowship that builds up. You know, we talk about it often. The fellowship is not, I'm going to go to the meeting every week and I'm going to grab ass and drink coffee and vape outside the church and, <laughs> and then, and then go, well, I fellowshipped fellowshipped the fuck out of it, dudes. Um, the fellowship that the book in chapter seven and in chapter 11 is really talking about is this fellowship that's going to grow up around me from me going out and seeking alcoholics and helping them to recover right through mm-hmm. this solution. Right. You know, and that's what we're okay. discussing, you know? Yeah, yeah. There, there is a little F fellowship throughout the book. And then there's the capital F fellowship yeah. throughout the book. Right. J- it, which is just a, you know, bring home your point. <clears throat> so like, I think when you go to medical school, and you get through the the apprenticeship and then um, the the residency. I don't know if there's there's something else after that, but basically, once you're done with that process, you become a fellow, right? You're part of the the medical fraternity fellowship, and mm-hmm. and I think you know that that was Bill's intent. I think when he wrote that, you know, or he distinct distinguished between the small F fellowship and the capital F fellowship, right? The the recovered alcoholic who is properly armed with a the facts about himself and who is being of service in harmony, right. With others, right. Meaning that they're, they're carrying the same message and there's no discordant, you know, halt (laughs) coming in here and there. It's, it's, you know, that's the fellowship, right. And that's just coming to y'all's meeting for the first time um, last week or, or, or whenever it was, right. You know, I felt that immediately because it's, it's a, a group of, of men and women who are, properly armed and talking about the common solution. Right. And, and that is harmony, right. That's that fellowship that I think Bill what was talking about. So that's, that's a great point. I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, this is such, such an amazing page. Um, mm-hmm. Every time it's read at a meeting, you know, and you know, my sponsor was someone who would point out a lot of different things in the book and he would often do the kind of sarcastic big book way of doing things, which is, you know, he would turn things on their head and one of the lines that has always really stuck with me and I think about pretty regularly is um, the answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something mm-hmm. you haven't got. Yeah. The inverse of that is, is that you will transmit what you do have. Yeah. You can't help it. You can't help but to transmit whatever you're, you're carrying around. Um, and so unrecovered people transmit unrecovery. Mm-hmm. You know, and even day to day, it is my responsibility as I step into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, as I carry myself as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous to make sure that what I'm transmitting isn't my bullshit, right? Isn't my ideas, but it is um, the the answers that have been given to me through this program and, and because of God, 
right? Um, so often when I talk about this stuff, my fear is that I'm going to come across as, as being that like I have something, that I've somehow got this thing. Mm-hmm. And more than anything, what I want to get across to people is that, no, I, I actually don't have anything. That's the whole point. It's like, I don't keep myself sober. That's God's job. You know, uh, I haven't thought about trying to keep myself sober for a long, long time. You know, yeah. what I think about is uh, exactly what this page tells me, right? It's keeping myself uh, is keeping my side of the street clean. It's it's thinking about how I can impact the lives of others, and it's thinking about how I can carry this message um, of hope uh, to the still suffering alcoholic. So I think that's uh, that's just a really a really beautiful thing. And uh, I don't want to harp any more on the people that you know um, <laughs> don't have the solution. You know, my hope is is that everyone who wants it finds it. Yeah. You know, that's that's my honest hope. I don't say this stuff because it. I don't want them to find it. I want them to find it. I just think that it's difficult. You know, the waters are so muddy, you know, as Hank pointed out. I mean, it's, sure. just, we're, it's just so muddy down right now. And I, like, I'm not intelligent enough to figure out the solution to this problem, you know? Uh, and uh, I know there's a lot of people thinking about it, but, um, but I think if, if, you know, it's, I will just point out, it is funny to me though, that though that same group will often go to this same page to counter because yeah. they'll say, well, it says the book is meant to be suggestive only, yeah. you know? But then if you read like more two more revealed. sentences, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, but if you, but uh, okay, well, so real quick, are you, are you asking in your morning meditation? Like, are you? Cause I, my guess is no. He's like, uh, you know, I don't use the book as ammunition against people. I use the book as proof that this isn't me. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, all the, the best speakers and Alcoholics Anonymous will say the same thing. Anything I say that you can't then go back to this book and qualify it from there, fucking disregard it. Ignore it. You know? yeah. And I'll say the same thing about if this po- if we say some opinion on this podcast and you go to the book and you're like, oh, I don't see that in here. Like if all of a sudden we start being like, yeah, maybe an abuse is a good idea and you don't find that in the book. <laughs> disregard it you know but uh, it just means we're getting paid to advertise (laughs) and abuse and we just to be clear i'll take that money (laughs) (laughs) so i don't yeah i don't i don't want to i mean like it you know obviously a lot of the what we do is just like shoot the shit and as solution people like that ends up being what i always interpret as a you know good loving jab to the ribs uh, of a big section of the fellowship that is doing a lot of damage to people who do not have the ability to live up to the solution that worked for them. You know, it just, that's just matter of fact kind of explanation. But what you're talking, what you were just saying reminded me of, um, what, you know, cause you have these conversations with people who did not need this solution to mm-hmm. stop drinking, but and did not need to qualify and don't qualify as a real alcoholic. You know, they don't have either of these page 44 qualifiers. They don't need a spiritual solution. They don't need to confess their shortcomings, keep, keep their side of the street clean. You know, that all they need is like, it's like when somebody at like, like you work at like McDonald's and somebody's like a fry cook and then I'm going off into Fred's analogy here territory here, but, <laughs> and then like they get promoted to like shift manager and then they just become like 
super fry cook instead of a manager. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you're you're. It's a different thing you're qualifying here before. You know, like there are different requirements to these roles, and like you know, my role as an alcoholic involves a certain description. You know. There's symptoms to this thing that make me this thing. I qualify as this thing. And if you don't have those, brother, pack a bag. <laughs> like, move along. Yeah, you, you can go do some other shit, man. That's super cool for you. Guess what? I'm fucking stuck here, dude. Okay? So, like, <laughs> I happen to, like, love my life today. I happen to be able to apply this solution to innumerable things in my life. And... I happen to be happier than I've ever been. And I don't happen to spend uh, every waking moment, not only not thinking about booze, but I don't spend every waking moment thinking about like some nebulous future where if I just get over this hill or that hurdle, things will be okay. I don't live like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that is the inherent value in what this process has brought into my life. You know, um, but I sought that solution because like someone who was dying, because I was dying over and over again, I was doing something that was going to kill me and that was alienating everyone in my life. And that was dragging me down in every area of my life. And so like, just because you've had some drama in your life or you've had some bad times, if you're able to just do an about face and turn around and stop, you don't qualify. You just don't. So when you then start arguing with somebody like me and telling me that AA is whatever you think it is, and then I, in a fit of stubbornness, <laughs> I, in turn, this has really happened is why I'm thinking of this. I, in turn, say, <laughs> okay, so you're saying that the 12 steps don't work anyway, right? You know, because if you, you have these conversations, it's like, right. oh, you know, you don't have to do all that, and that's not the program, this and that. Okay, so it's like, I've done it, and it's like, whatever. You ex- you fully accepted step one, okay? You accepted step one, that you can never safely drink in any amount, and that you cannot keep yourself sober, right? You accepted that, okay. Then you, it, you said, hey, I'm willing to believe there's a power greater than myself. Then you made a commitment to go through the rest of the 12 steps. Then you did all three of the inventories and how it works. And you sat down and you talked with somebody about it. Then you asked yourself, did I leave anything out of the first five? I talked to God and I said, Hey, I might not be willing. Maybe I'm willing. I don't know if I'm not help me be willing. And then you said the seven step prayer. And then you made a list of every person who you knowingly have harmed, even Walmart, where you rang up a microwave as bananas, like Mm -hmm. everyone who you've harmed. And then you went out and you made complete restitution to every single one of those people. And then every day you get up and do 10 and 11, and then you go and carry that same process to other people. And you're telling me that that didn't work for you. Well, what you're describing is a perfect program. And it's just like, no, I am literally describing the bare minimum basic tenets of having, mm-hmm. having the factual experience of being able to say, I have done the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And if like, if you've not done that, you have no business telling me that like, this doesn't work and offering some other solution. You just don't. And 
and I think at its core is like you stop at one because you fucking don't qualify, dude. Mm-hmm. Either that or you do qualify and you cannot admit step one. So it's like either way, it's like you're selling me a, a bill of goods I'm not buying, dude. You know? And again, ultimately, I don't argue with people anymore about it, but I'm here to just be the voice of the solution, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's great what you just said. It's 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 a perfect way to say it. Like this is not my solution. Like, dude, I was, <laughs> I was not even old enough to be snorting Vicodin when this, you know what I mean? Like this is mm-hmm. 60 years before I took a drink. This was written, you know, but this works when you do all of the stuff involved to get to right. the solution. This works. Right. So like, that's where that frustration comes from because it's like, you're either not one of us or you haven't fucking done it. Mm-hmm. I mean, show me an exception, you know? Right. Or you've done it right. and then you stop doing it. Well, I don't know if you guys have ever had that experience of like, I get this a lot in treatment centers, especially where I go to the same treatment center oh, every week, every week, every say. week. <laughs> and, uh, so I'll, I'll do, I have, I mean, my pitch is basically the same. Like it might be a little different based on the topic or whatever we're talking about that week, but it's basically the same, right? It's like the steps work, God works, like do the steps and you'll yeah. be okay. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a lot of colorful language and I mix it in with <laughs> a, several analogies, uh, obviously, but basically that's the gist. And what I've had the experience of happening is, is like, I will have somebody come up to me. They were there. They did the program. They left. And now they're back 60, 90 days later and they'll come up to me and they'll say, um, Hey Fred, uh, no, they won't cause six, it's your fake name, but yeah, right, we get yeah. It. but they'll say my real name. Um, <laughs> they'll say, Hey, I fucking hated you 60 days mm-hmm. ago. I, I fucking despised. Every, I thought you were such a dick. Will you sponsor me? <laughs> <laughs> and I went and fucking smoked crack against right. my own will for three and weeks. Then, yeah. Everything you said came true. And now I'm like, everything these people here told me. And again, I'm not taking anything away from treatment centers. Like, I get it. Like, I get why they do what they do. Um, you know, yeah. but uh mm. I will say this. I will as you were talking, John, it made me think like I don't want to be like like mad at anyone that does it. I'm gonna be mad at one group. If you're out there and you're telling people to take a step a year, fuck you and come I'm, at me, bro. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hit me up on Instagram. I'll fuck argue that shit with you. Cause you're like selling the program, but you're selling it this so fucking weak. Like, what is that? You're like, do it, but do it this like completely other fucking way. So yeah, those people can fuck right off. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> and okay, like so Hank, like I don't know if you've ever heard someone actually say that. Okay, you have. Okay. So Fred and I thought that that was just kind of like hyperbole. That was like a goof. We, we've, I had definitely heard step a month, you know, easy does it, blah, oh, yeah. blah. Um, but there's this, there's this Zoom meeting that I've been ruining everyone's life by introducing <laughs> them to. Um, it's the worst. And, uh, and they will, they will directly counter share you and say like, no, the 12 steps, it, keep it simple is not the 12 steps. Keep it simple is just don't drink, you know, mm-hmm. like they will absolutely counter share you. Um, and there are people, multiple people in there really, really pushing a step a year. And so to me, 
what instantly comes to mind is just basic bottom line, common sense stuff that I could like run by my wife and she'd be like, well, yeah, that totally checks out, you know, non-alcoholic, you know, she'd be Mm. like, that makes no sense. Um, (laughs) I, I am going to take 12 months, right? 12 months, not locked away in like an ashram or a fucking rehab or something, not in prison, like in solitary, I'm going to take 12 months in the real world and I'm going to spend all that 12 months not using drugs or drinking alcohol and going and doing maybe therapy and a bunch of meetings or whatever. At the end of that 12 months, I'm going to go, all right, I've done it. I've admitted I am powerless over alcohol. Like the way you say it's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's like it's so fucking ridiculous. And like yeah. the the uh the reality of step one is it's the it's the compelling force behind doing the work, you know? And it's like mm-hmm. it's like no there, no wonder you're introducing just tons and tons of confusion into this process by i don't even want to call that watering down but what i thought you were going to say about the treatment center thing yeah was uh there's this one meeting that he he goes to often that i've been to maybe four or five and one time i don't know what it was about but it was like way more people in there than usual and um it's like all the inpatient people and then like all the recovered people sit like up at the front facing them. Um, and it's kind of like stadium seating almost. It's like a lecture room and they go around the beginning and everyone says how long they've been sober. (laughs) And I'm sure you remember this. There's this one, this one week where like (laughs) every fifth dude was like, yeah, I'm Randy. I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, I had seven years, but I got 14 yeah. days. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And it was yeah. like, it was like yeah. every fucking dude. And then it got, and then it got up to the recovered people. We were just like, uh, yeah, I got, you know, 18 months or whatever. And then he gets, he gets to Fred and he's like, I'm Fred. And, uh, I didn't know that we could count all our former sobriety. So I guess <laughs> I got like 28 years <laughs> cumulative here. <laughs> yeah. So funny. I challenge anyone, you know, who does think the right approach is working one step a year to to read a little bit of Alcoholics Anonymous comes of age and and see that Dr. Bob made all of his amends in one day. Yeah. Right. Mm. He did his entire ninth step in, in one day. He door to door. He made all of his amends, right? And and he worked with an alcoholic a day until he died in nineteen fifty. Um uh, but something that, you know, we're, this discussion we're having, uh, you know, about being liked rather than being effective. <clears throat> I, uh, when I first started working the steps, you know, because I was young and kind of fresh skinned, if you will, um, <laughs> I, I wanted to be liked. I really wanted to be liked in AA. You know, I, I saw some, some good speakers. This is before I really knew the mechanics of the program and Mm-hmm. what like what the solution actually is but i saw some really good speakers some speakers who were just so um what's the word i'm looking for um you know they they were very attractive they seemed to, to know a lot and you know i wanted i kind of wanted to be the popular person in alcoholics anonymous right 
And I, you know, I started working the steps and very quickly, I, I realized that the lineage that I am in is, does not give a shit about being liked, mm-hmm. right? It, and it's all about being effective, you know, because it can, it can be a lot more dangerous if you go up to a newcomer, you know, or some, a potential sponsee and, and have the intention of being their friend rather than having the intention of, of telling them the truth, yeah. right? That if they, if they are a real alcoholic, Right. The book does not mince words. If you are a real alcoholic, it talks about the gates of hell, you know, must be rid of selfishness or it kills us. Mm-hmm. Resentment destroys us. Right. We got brainstorming the grouch, the, you know, the poison. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's this is a matter of life and death and we're not going to do a step a year. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we it, that will kill you. If you're mm-hmm. a real alcoholic, that will kill you um, within the first few months, you know, um, spiritually kill you, maybe really kill you, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So, you know, slowly, but surely I've been molded by, by, you know, the lineage that I'm in and, and much more focused on being effective rather than liked, which I, I there's still an, an, you know, a part of my ego that just hasn't been removed mm-hmm. <laughs> or a defect, you know, that hasn't been removed through the, the inventories that I've done. So God, Obviously, you know, there's a use for it and, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more uh, polite than, than some, but I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm tired of uh, going to meetings and, and the, just the vibe of the meeting, not, not the vibe, but the message of the meeting is, is not the truth. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's all, of, it's a popularity contest Yeah, and, you know, being effective for me is, is much more rewarding than, than being liked today. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, to say it crudely, like, okay, do I want a bunch of like creepy drug addict buddies or do I want to be able to look at some recovered people who went through the steps with me? Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. exactly. It's kind of a, an easy choice, you know, <laughs> like, well, this loser who refuses to do any work whatsoever really thinks I'm a cool guy. <laughs> yeah great I got all these great friends in aa yeah we're going roller skating this weekend yep. great yeah. uh, my <laughs> life is literally in shambles and i hate myself but craig hey, over here yeah. beats his wife but thinks i'm a right. nice dude right yeah. yeah uh it actually you know bringing it back to like very our very original talk was kind of i think we were talking love and tolerance and you know that whole idea and like <laughs> i always think about it like um like i have children and I love them uh, beyond reproach. There's nothing yeah. they could ever do. But my love does not always look like love as in a hug. Yeah. You know? And um, I've been really into this show. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch My 600 Pound Life. <laughs> yeah. But that show is incredible, first of all. And I don't know why those people aren't in OA. Maybe they are. I don't know. But they should be. Those, they are fucking Are sick. you taking but, their inventory? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, you, know, you weigh like, 600 um, pounds. I think I'm going to take your inventory. Yeah. Right. They all like, um, they all have this same thing, which is like the doctor will say like, um, you know, he'll, they'll have like a family member in the room and he's trying to explain to them, like giving them the McDonald's is not loving. Yeah. You know, even right. though that's the thing that they want at that moment, actually the loving thing to do is to put them in extreme pain. Yes. Yeah. Extreme pain physical, emotional, spiritual pain. And isn't that our job as recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous that 
that sometimes we might have to put you in extreme pain so that you can get the full sense of your condition, yeah, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and, and we would be doing you a disservice. I, I would have been done a disservice if somebody had not done that for me. I don't speak for anybody else. Yeah. The shit my sponsor said to me was, was not always nice, but it got the point across and it made me look at things and be like, yeah, he's fucking right. You know, like I had to, you know, I had to look at it and be like, if I'm being honest with myself, this shit checks out and I'm fucked, you know? And that was the thing that launched me on. If he had just told me like, Oh, it's okay that you cheated on your wife. It's okay that you're a piece of shit. Like, it's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, let's not get into the book just yet. Let's wait a yeah. little while and like just hang out or whatever. Like, yeah. I probably Self-care. honestly would still be right. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, harm reduction or whatever. Yeah. Like, again, nothing wrong with harm reduction, but right. it's not Alcoholics Anonymous. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So, anyways. All right. So, twelve questions with our friend Hank. Question one. How many people have you sponsored? I can already tell it's going to be a great answer. <laughs> I I want to say it's around 30, 30 to 35. Word. And about, <clears throat> I would say about 10% of those finish their four-step. Hmm. Yeah. And, they're, and the ones that have finished their four-step are in 10, 11, and 12 and still sober. Dope. Nice. So, yes. Um. How long did it take you to do the steps? Uh, once I got a sponsor and started working them, I was in amends in 10, 11, and 12 in about three months. Cool. Nice. What's the longest you've seen someone push off completing a fourth step and still get through all 12 and recover? Um, I had a, uh, someone I'm still working with. He... I want to say it took him, and it wasn't that long of a list, mind you. Uh, I want to say it took him three weeks to finish it. And that's the resentment, sex, and fear. So three weeks. Right on. And that, I, I think, you know, personally, I think a force that can be done in, in five days, you know, if you're launching into a course of vigorous action. I've seen some people do it in two days. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since you are, you know, such a, a rebel and a hothead in Alcoholics Anonymous, <laughs> um, if you ever got kicked out of the of AA, uh-huh. would you join a different uh, 12-step program? Which one and why? If I got kicked out of AA? Yeah. I would probably go to CA or DAA because they still work out of the big book and there's some really good solution at those groups. So. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Agreed. Is that is that a valid answer? Can I say that? <laughs> Absolutely. As long as they still work. Out, they still work out of the big book. You can yeah. say whatever you want. It's your lightning round. Yeah. Cool. 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 Okay. Um. Let's see. I always like to preface this one. I don't know if this is a thing where you live, but it's a thing that exists in certain regions of the country. At least this country. Like one of the meeting maker aphorisms or just things that you hear in meetings all the time. Um, so what's the most important word in step one? Ah, <laughs> uh, the most important word in step one. I feel like saying we is a trap powerless. <laughs> <laughs> 
because I mean, we is the first 100 or 70 ish recovered alcoholics. So, you know, the whole perspective is, is from those. We, I don't know, powerless. Powerless. Seems legit. Yeah. Cool. I think the, so with, with a lot of these, like, there's no, there's no right. Answer. I know. I think everybody thinks we're trying yeah. to trip them no, up. No, no, we're not like, right. we're not right. like, uh, I think a couple of people have been like, in their brain, they're like, okay, where in the book does it say what the most important, and they're like trying to <laughs> right. think, I'm just like, no, I just want to know what you think, because. Uh, yeah, I, I, did, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to say we, because, uh, you know, so there, that just there, seems like something like a meeting major, maker's maker. Yeah, so you say. don't like, hear we, that there. That's not a you thing know, you hear? Community fellowship. No, no, no. Okay, so what we hear is um, the most important, like in a first step meeting, somebody will say the most important word in the first step is we because you can't do this alone. Every every <laughs> exactly. time. Exactly. So that's yeah. much See, you but thought what you that thought just, was, just as a goof. Yeah. <laughs> right. But what you thought was that it's the most important word because the first 100 got sober and they had really good recovery rates. So that we is important. Yeah. But how many times, like, I don't know about you guys, as soon as I sit down in the book, the, one of the first things I do is we go to that page where it says we, and I say, mm-hmm. stop, you know, I go, okay, let's get started. I always kind of play this little game with them. We're like, okay, let's get started reading. And they'll say we, and I'm like, stop, <laughs> you know, I was like one yeah. word in, I'm like, great circle that. Who are they talking about? And every time they're like, well, they're talking about me and you and the whatever. And I'm like, this isn't wrong. Alcoholics Anonymous 2020. <laughs> right. This is Alcoholics Anonymous 1935. <laughs> let's talk about this. We, this is a really important thing because it completely sets the tone of what we're about to do and why right. this is important and all that stuff. So yeah. I get what you were going. I think, yeah. So it, the way your context is, it actually, you know, makes sense. Well, and all of the we's of the book are contextualized similarly. Right. Our yes. experience, strength and hope and our experience and yes. knowledge and our mm. stories before and right. after, you know, like, right. We are talking about the people who are talking to you from the thirties it's not like a 95% like, yeah, success rate. Exactly. It's not right. Melinda getting up on a Tuesday night speaker meeting. <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Here's 50 minutes about me drinking and five minutes of saying I like meetings. You know, like that's... Yeah. yeah. Well, don't forget about the three minutes about when she got... When her kids took her back. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Well, actually, it would be doctor. Doctor's opinion. They do. They also. He does. We. He talks from that perspective. Yeah. Of like the, mm-hmm. representing the medical fraternity. Right How now. and and it's this thing. So. It's like it's like the uh, except when to do so would would harm them or others. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's like how. How is basic English confusing in this point? Like, right. if I if I write a if I write a fucking book and it says I like banana and peanut butter sandwiches, everyone who reads that book isn't going to be like, I like, oh, I guess I like that. Like, that <laughs> yeah, doesn't make any right. sense at all. <laughs> there was, I was involved with in district and area um, a few years ago, and there was a movement <clears throat> to adapt the big book to plain language, to simplify it, mm-hmm. plain, plain, lang- plain English, if you, if you will. And I, you know, that obviously aroused a lot of concern in myself like again i understand the intention but you know at 30 years from now or you know is it just going to be plain language books mm-hmm. so that motion did not pass yeah they're, <laughs> they're doing that up here too and it's like okay what that means is okay so god this is such a big digression i understand sorry but there's no way that that doesn't mean 
people who don't like the big book are trying to right. change the big book. And it's right. like, okay, mm -hmm. firstly, that's uh, unsound basis for wanting to change this thing because you don't understand it, don't use it, and don't like it. Right. Like, secondly, what is whose definition of plain language or simple mm -hmm. English or whatever? Like, right. because because I only fluently speak one language. I can speak kitchen mm -hmm. Spanish, but fluently only one language. And it's English, and I understand the whole book. I did when I was a teenager and I first read it. I do now as a 40-year-old man. Like, who's, who's plain language are we talking? Right. Like, so there's no way that that doesn't mean, like, uh, you're scaring people with this, or you're right. offending people with mm -hmm. that. And it's just like, again, mm -hmm. go do people who knit in a room and talk about their feelings anonymous like go fucking mm, make right. that thing dude write your own fucking yeah. book you can right. come with a free right. ball of yarn and needles like fucking go do it i you feel should. like the people who have go, go ahead go oh, no no i was gonna make a joke so you should go <laughs> okay <laughs> uh i the people who have that concern or the motivation to change it i, I just feel like they never had a good sponsor right uh, my mm -hmm. sponsor told me everything about the book he you know like you said everything was put into context historically and you know like yeah. there, there's that part in bill's story that the spheres really had their music mm -hmm. yeah and he's talking i think he's talking about greek gods or like a mythological understanding and it's you know i wouldn't know that i, I i'm sure i can understand reading that being like what the hell are you talking about just go get a good sponsor get, get a sponsor right. who cares about the the steps in this program yeah, because even like even if I'm reading Doctor Bob's Nightmare and it's what is that fucking line? <laughs> what is that line? It was like I have to be like a biblical archaeologist oh, right. to understand. <laughs> yeah. I was between Scylla and Charybdis. Now it's like, it like yes, the yes, fuck yes. are you talking? And it's just like okay, right. so I don't need Indiana Jones to explain that to me, right? Right. All right. I need is somebody to be like, hey, he's uh, he's saying he was between a rock and a hard place, like. Yeah, right. It was you know if exactly. I don't get it on my own, some sponsor could explain that to me, right? Exactly. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, when did you feel the nearness of your Creator? Uh, right when I did the fifth step. That's when I nice. began to have my spiritual experience. Just like the book says that's when I did, do, and I did. So nice. Nice. Yeah. Was this your first time ever attempting the yes. steps? Yes. Yes, it was. Awesome. Yes, it was. Okay. Now that we're getting super spiritual, fuck, Mary kill. Mm-hmm. Um, you understand the basis of this question? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> he wasn't even phased by it. <laughs> He's like, bring it on. I'm ready. Yeah. Are you uncomfortable? <laughs> Are you uncomfortable with this? Not at all. Okay. Let's do it. Marty Mann, Sister Ignatia. Uh -oh. oh, God. Dr. Silkworth. <laughs> what? That's so hard. <laughs> um, I know what Mark Mann looks like, but she she did the uh, the try and drink two and a half drinks for thirty days. Yeah, right. She, yeah, that was the her Marty Mann test. Her book, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what she looks like, but I would, I guess, uh, fuck her. <laughs> Um, I'm such an 11 year old when, when no, this no, no, comes Mary, Mary, Marty, man. Um, God damn it. I guess I got to fuck six or sister Ignatia <laughs> and, and kill Dr. Silkworth. Yep. 
Oh, I mean, I'm, the, I, I, this is very self-centered. It's a very our, self-centered. Our heterosexualness just oozes out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fuck Doctor Silkworth. My God. Yeah. I would. I mean, I'll you know, I'd hang out with him for sure. I'm definitely surprised nobody's married Silkworth. That's that's a surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's true. Um, how did your sponsor approach you? Uh, we just we had a. I was at a meet. I'd been going to a meeting for going to this group for a few weeks, and like I was sharing all this philosophical bullshit. Like 22 <laughs> years old, thinking that I'm like smart and and whatnot, and like you know, talk, trying to talk about spiritual things that I didn't understand and, mm-hmm. and thinking that the people, the people in there were fucking sick of my shit. And I didn't even know that, <laughs> but they liked me. Cause they were like, Hey John, so glad you're back, man. So glad to see you. You know, what, what are you going to share today? <laughs> so great um, share. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed that six minute diatribe you gave us. <laughs> so eventually, um, this guy named James, he, in, in a very, understanding you know human understanding uh approached me in a parking lot and we he just talked to me about what it was like for him and it encouraged me to talk about myself and it, that was it it was a very by the book uh working with others nice. conversation right just it was humorous here and and he i was attracted to where he had been but also of course what he had then mm-hmm. you know being sober and recovered so yep Nice. Good old, good old fashioned approach. What is your least favorite AA slogan and why? Put the plug in the jug. Mm. It's just, it's just like, you know, it's saying, just say no to someone who is suffering from an, from an obsession that is about to kill them. And you're telling him to put the plug in the jug. It's just, it's just so nonsensical and does nothing. I I don't even, I, I hate that slogan. I hate it. <laughs> Next time you're at a meeting and somebody uses that slogan, just work into your share. Uh, this is not a program of finding a big enough plug for the jug. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, okay. That question works perfectly into mine, which is um, pick the best AA slogan and defend it. <laughs> the Oof. best AA slogan and def- um, it works if you work it. it, it- <laughs> nice. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> is that can that be counted? Yeah, yeah. if you work this, if you work the steps, uh, honestly, with an open mind and with all the willingness you can muster, it works. There you go. Heck yeah. Okay, Bill or Bob? Bob. We're we're nice. back on the Bob streak. <laughs> back on the Bob I, train. Uh, Bill is. Fantastic. The book is brilliantly written. It's no doubt that he had an amazing spiritual experience. Some of the, his experimentation with LSD in the fifties, like I get that too. Like, you know, he was just, it was new. They didn't know what it was. And there was always the rumor that Bill never finished the steps. And I'm not holding all that against him. I just think Bob was very solution or not solution oriented, but um, very service oriented Mm -hmm. and, and like, you know, the, the most impact we can make while Bill was like getting the traditions together and the, and eventually the concepts bill Bob was like working with an alcoholic every single day until he died. Right. And, and I, that's what I want to aspire to be just, you know, how can I be useful to someone today? Right. And who can I help today and just keep it straightforward in, in that sense. 
Nice. But I mean, I, I love them both, you know, Bill, you know, Bill's awesome, but yeah. Uh, how many meetings do you attend weekly? And you can give your answer in both current zoom times and non zoom times. Okay. Non zoom times. It was, it was usually a solid five, um, sometimes six, uh, zoom. I'm making between four and four and five. Yeah. Nice. Word. And most of the, the meetings I go to are big book. I try and go to as many big book study studies as I can. I actually prefer Q and a as opposed to like discussion, big book discussion meetings. Um, and then I'm not counting the treatment centers that I go to either. So service commitments, but yeah. Bonus question. How do you define 13th stepping? Um, I wear a newcomer man or woman comes into a group and the 13th stepper would be someone who is purely sexually motivated um and tries to basically take advantage of the emotional vulnerability that the newcomer is in very studious response yeah which is one of you know something i'm very anti and you being a young person in AA, I went to some young people groups and there, there was a lot of that going on and which is fine. We're young, you know, maybe the kid that they produce is going to cure cancer. I don't know, but <laughs> clearly you've written I an inventory about this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Cause that was a very Absolutely. inventory response right there. <laughs> yeah. How do you know so, the kid they're going to, Oh, so you're the arbiter of AA sex conduct. <laughs> I can hear your sponsor talking to you about that one. Right. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I, I, uh, it, it, it bothers me, but I, you know, we're people, we all, we have sex drives. Right. So, but yeah, that's what, is that what 13, 13 stepping is or like hey, just banging like your definition, brother. Power? Okay. No, okay. I think you're, I think commonly yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you okay. know what 14th stepping is? Absolutely not. Please tell me. So 14 step, so, so 14 step is, butt. yep finger in the butt uh it's always butt stuff uh no 14th stepping is when you go to the dentist 15th stepping is when you go back to college (laughs) it follows a pretty consistent trajectory wow yeah yeah so i know people who have it like up to 25 like they (laughs) they've like just keep added things on so so i've done 14 and 15 then there you go after i got sober two root canals and back in college there it is (laughs) I'm on 17 where I become a lesbian for a year. Right. Ooh. Yeah. I thought that was three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to have to cut so much of this out. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hank, it was such a pleasure having you on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. It was great. Thank you it's both. It's been great I getting had, to know you over time. the last few weeks. Yeah. Thanks for Absolutely. doing this, man. Thank awesome. you for asking me. I'm, I'm so excited to keep attending y'all's meetings, and I'll see you uh, later on this evening. Absolutely. Cool, man. Thanks, dude. Very cool. Have a good day. All right, day. y'all. Thanks, dude. We'll Take see you. See you, dude. Anonymous. All comments 
are from our own experiences as alcoholics who have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.